0: All right, well, we are in our second week of a series called I'm In, and we're really talking about um, what kind of place are you in, what kind of church are we, uh, and then actually we'll transition into um, what is your response, uh, how are you in, and if you see these words behind me, this is uh, kind of the direction that we're going, um, that God's calling us to be a part of something that he has been building since his time here on earth, and it's called the church, um, that God invites us, that he wants us to be a part of what he is doing. Um, We're going to be in that chapter uh, of Luke 4 this morning, so if you have your Bibles um, or your phone and you get to Luke chapter 4, it'd be good to have those verses in front of you, and uh, we'll kind of break them out here in in a minute. Um, One thing that I love is I actually do enjoy visiting uh, most museums. Uh, Maybe not every museum, but I do enjoy museums. Uh, I've got some to share with you, some that I've seen, some that I actually haven't. The first one um, is the Ark Museum, which is south of Cincinnati in Kentucky, um, just over the border from Ohio. I've actually had a chance to go to the Creation Museum, but I haven't had a chance to go back. Um, Preston has, right? Uh, And actually, Preston and I did some fundraising to help kind of build the ark and it's a life-size ark that you actually get a chance to go to and visit and go in and hear, um, how God was at work in the ark. And so just an amazing experience. Uh, another one that I haven't gone to, but I hear that's amazing is the Museum of the Bible. Anybody here been to the Museum of the Bible? All right. Uh, it's, uh, it's, I hear it's great. And, uh, these pictures here is kind of fun. Like, Uh, These are the doors going in. It's Genesis uh, chapter one. They've got the Hebrew on both sides. You walk through these giant doors. Technologically, they say it's one of the most advanced museums of all of Washington, D.C. Beautiful building. And then, yes, you can get pictures of your kids like, you know, being between the stones and and pushing the stones aside and just experiencing the Bible in a really amazing way. Uh, Another museum that my parents absolutely love is the, the Billy Graham Library. Anybody been there? No? All right. Um, maybe. There you go. Uh, Bernadette's been there, and I hear it's an amazing place. And when I first heard my parents say that, I was like, really? But then I heard their experience, and it sounded like it really was just a, a great place. And I shared last week that my grandfather, my, my father's dad, uh, gave his life through watching Billy Graham to Jesus. And so I think for him, there was a lot of deep meaning there um, to see the life of Billy Graham, the impact that he's made, and the ministry that's continuing. Uh, One that Angie and I got a chance to visit is, it's kind of a different perspective. It's the Basilica of the Sacred Heart in Paris. Anybody uh, been there? All right. Bernadette gets to travel. Jenny's been there. And when Angie and I went to Paris, actually, that was our our favorite place. We actually have a, a painting in our house of this basilica. For some reason, it wasn't the Eiffel Tower. It wasn't the great food. We really remember getting a chance and see the city. Talk about a shining city on a hill. The way that this basilica is just up on top of the hillside overlooking all of Paris was absolutely amazing. But the reason why I share all this is, is because the reality is that way too many cathedrals, especially in Europe, have become museums. So you've probably heard it preached many times before. I'm not the first one to say it. That, that God's word declares that God's church is not a museum for the saints, but rather a hospital for the sinners. That that's really what we're supposed to be when God calls us to be his church. It's not supposed to be these places that are so sacred that they turn people away. But that we're supposed to be a place that's so safe and so welcoming that we bring in um the sinners. We bring in the sick. We bring in those that are hurting and oppressed. That that's really the purpose of who the church is supposed to be. But all too often what has happened is that not just do we, churches become a museum, but it actually becomes a hospital perhaps where the doctors themselves are carrying an infection. And that infection just begins to spread from one to the other. If you don't know the name of Dr. Um, Semmelweis, he was the first doctor who began to realize that there's something about washing hands that we need to pay more attention to, especially in the hospital. In his days, not that long ago, in 1846, uh, it would be common for a doctor to go from treating a patient with tuberculosis to carving up a cadaver to, without really washing his hands well, going to deliver a baby. And they realized that they were having these huge issues of childbirth um, and the moms and the children dying of infections and fever. So he began to separate the two staffs. He had the midwives and he had the doctors, and he kept them separate. What they found out was that the midwives actually had much better rates because all they did was deliver babies compared to the doctors that were amongst sick patients. Well, his first thought was actually that it was Something about when the priest came through to bless the children, that the bell they rang were scaring the babies to death. That was his first theory. That was not true, um, well, at least not completely that we know. Um, but then he really began to do the test subjects of, well, what if we began to wash our hands and we even use soap and do that in between patients and wear a cloth mask? And he really was the first one to see that the hospital staff themselves was moving infections. And we see that in hospitals, that hospitals that you go to for treatment are actually, I mean, have you ever had that feeling of like, I kind of feel like maybe I should go to the hospital, but I feel like without what's there, might be worse than what I have. And so I'm just going to stay home. It's like, we understand that with hospitals, not putting even the best hospitals down. But the reality is that same truth sometimes happens with church. That in church, we come here to be a place of healing with these expectations that that I'm going to come and be able to just find a place to be accepted and loved. And you find out that maybe it's the staff, the church, the leader, that themselves are not healthy. And yet they're trying to lead the church. You see, the church has these issues. And so as we look at what the church should be, that the church should be a hospital, that the church should be a place for caring, a place for accepting, a place where it doesn't matter what you wear or what you look like, what your skin color is or what language you speak, that you're welcome into every single church. That when we put Jesus Christ in our name, that we follow him and love as he lived. You see, Jesus was a healer. You read the Gospels and you're confronted with the idea that Jesus healed the blind, the deaf, the lame, uh, that even the dead. He would heal but he wouldn't just heal them physically. That in each time that he met a person with healing, he would change their lives forever. He also healed broken hearts like the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, who was relationally damaged by at least being with five other men who she had once called husband. He came and gave her hope and healed her broken heart. That Jesus at the pool of Bethesda, that he found a man that was marginalized by um, society. And he brought him mercy, hope, and and yes, physical health as well. You know, if I ask people, what does the church do? If we were to like, you know, make a big, I don't know, poster or some kind of sign and and take it down and, and put it, you know, at like Fifth Avenue and A1A and just had people stop and fill in the blank. A church is a place where blank. You know, what do you think people would say? I know some people, they look at the church and say it's a place where people fight. It's a place where people fight uh, maybe against the culture. They fight against each other's doctrines. It's a place where they fight against the world. Others would say that maybe we don't fight, but we fuss a lot. That we criticize, that we are always, you know, thinking that we're better than other people. And still yet others may say that we're a place that we fellowship. A place where we come together in the name of Christ. But I know many on the outside, they see that as just a click that comes together, and it's not welcoming to the outside. Well, as we talk about this, we don't want to be a place known for our fights. We don't want to be a place that's known for fussing. We don't want to be a place that's not even known just for the internal fellowship. But as a church, we want to be known as a place that exists for people to come into safe spaces, that they can come and be accepted, they can come and be healed, And we exist not for ourselves, but for others. You know, it's probably one of the only, if I could just kind of, you know, call the church a club, the only club that exists, the only gathering that exists, not for ourselves, but we actually exist to be a part of God's work around this entire world and within our community. A place that, yes, believers can grow and be blessed, but also that people can come in in various stages and be healed. Uh, I've shared often that that wasn't maybe my first expectation when we started this church. You know, our first, anytime you do church planning, you expect to be a place where you just get a chance to meet the unchurch. You get a place to meet um, those that need healing from whatever reason. I came from a church that was very much involved with a Celebrate Recovery and a 12-step program. And so, you know, you kind of come up with those mindsets. But really, as we see the ministry that God has been doing here at Rock Harbor, that God has been doing a significant ministry of healing, that people have come in all kinds of different places Some have just been turned off by church. Some felt like they weren't able to go into church and ask questions. And we've really tried to be a place that offers healing for all the different stages of brokenness, sometimes relational brokenness, and yes, sometimes physical brokenness. And we've been able to pray and see God continue to heal and work with people. See, the more that we can message that, the more that we can say it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you've come from. It doesn't matter what baggage you have or what's in your past, or what's in your background, but there's hope here. That's a reason why you'd want to come and be a part of a church. Is because you can tell your neighbor, hey, I know it's been a tough week, but come with me on Sunday and you'll find hope. You'll find health, you'll find love, you'll find acceptance, and you'll find grace. The more that we create that kind of an environment of healing is stepping into the church that God wants us to be, that the church is a hospital for sinners. It's a place of healing. When I talk about it being a hospital, I just want to make one thing clear, and that is that I am not the doctor, that Jesus Christ alone is the great physician. And last night, I was having um, dinner at um, the Ashton house, and I asked uh, Dr. Stacy. Um, I said, hey, here's my illustration, I said, and she works in the ER at Holmes. I said, if the illustration is, God is the doctor, we are the what? She goes, well, we ain't the nurses. The nurses actually do a lot. And I was like, well, what about like a triage? No, no, because they can actually help people. <laughs> and she's like, we're like, a, yeah, you got to help me. The, the patient advocate, the, the patient advocate, that we're the patient advocate, that we're the one that can encourage them, and that we're the one that can come alongside them and say, "I know this healing process is harder than it needs to be." So very much, you're the patient advocate at their hospital. I've had a chance to be a hospital chaplain, and so we get a chance to be the chaplain. You know, and the chaplain doesn't go in and provide any medicine. We we don't provide any you know uh, actual surgery, but we come and we can bring Christ into those situations and let Him do the work. And that's so consistent with scripture, that we are called to be the priesthood. We are all the fellowship of saints, that Jesus is our great high priest. But we are the ones that have the opportunity to bring Jesus into places. And I don't just mean you bringing people here, but we get a chance sometimes on Sundays to get encouraged, and then you can bring Jesus into your work on Monday morning. You can bring Jesus into your schools, that we get a place to bring Jesus so that they can meet the great physician. And that you have that opportunity to be a part of being a place. And that's why we said in the very beginning, our, our founding statement as a church is that we create safe spaces. We didn't say places because we didn't have a place. And then for a long time, guess what? We didn't have a place. But we still became safe spaces. And so that's to declare that sometimes maybe you're giving a friend a ride and your car becomes that safe space for them. Maybe it's just at a table over lunch, and that becomes that safe space for them. That we can create these safe spaces to love people unconditionally. All right, I asked you to go to Luke chapter 4. I need to get into the text. So Luke is the only gospel that gives us this full story. Mark mentions it, and we are very confident that Luke read the gospel of Mark before he wrote his gospel. And so what's interesting about that is, I think there was enough of this story in Mark, that Luke said, I want to know the rest of the story. And so that's what Luke did in his gospel. He actually went out and continued to ask questions and continued to investigate firsthand accounts of people that were here at these events. So I'm guessing he read Mark, and Mark kind of tells us that he went to Nazareth, he went to the synagogue, the people heard what they heard, um, but doesn't give us all the details. And he's like, I want to know what made him so upset. I want to know what made him, like, want to chase him out and stone Jesus before he even called his disciples, before he even started his ministry. And so Luke kind of digs into this, and we find out the rest of the story. So we find out here in Luke chapter 4 that, that Jesus is in his hometown of Nazareth, and he goes to his synagogue, so probably the synagogue that he grew up at. And so we would say that he simply was going to church. He steps in and he's kind of like the guest rabbi. He's the guest preacher for for the day. Um, I just found out August 28th, I've got to put a robe back on to be a guest for the Lutheran service here at 8.30. So he comes in and he's wearing his rabbi robes and he's handed the scroll of Isaiah. He finds Isaiah chapter uh, 61. He reads it. He makes his application to himself declaring today the scripture is fulfilled. And it, this incredible story unfolds. Now, this text you can preach so many different ways, but I'm just going to give us three things today. Um, I, I've preached an entire message on this, just focusing on a comma that became a period. And I'll mention it today, but this is such a deep text. Um, we're going to look at three elements that should be a place in any church um, to be the church that Jesus Christ wants us to be. Uh, the first thing, if you're taking notes, is this. Places are important. That places are important. And I'm going to finish that thought, but we're starting off with places are important. Chapter 4, verse 16. Um, Lauren read the New Living Translation, which I asked her to, and I'm going to be at the New King James. So if you hear different language, that's intentional to give us different perspectives. So he came to Nazareth. That's a place where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue. And by the way, so he's at a place. That's what the synagogue is. He went into a place, a physical place. On the Sabbath day, he stood up to read and he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened that book, he found the place where it was written. Now, we know that the church in itself is never supposed to be a place. It's always a people. When we talk about buying this property... I'm consistent in using that language. Hey, we're looking at buying the property. We're buying 1805 Oak Street. We're buying the land. We're buying the buildings. We're buying the property. We're not buying a church. We've already been a church. We will continue to be a church, but we're buying a place that we can continue to have church and expand the ministry that God is doing through our church to the community and to the ends of the earth. So we know that the word church, you know, even as it's seen in scripture, you may have heard it before, it's ecclesia, That's a Greek word that means a gathering of people who have been called out from the world. So that's a gathering of people who say we are going to be different because we are choosing together to follow Jesus. And that's how we can declare that we're a church. Because we're here together, we've declared the centrality of the word of God, we're going to follow Jesus, and that all of us need to be saved in his name. And that's what kind of defines us as a church. But he was forming a new culture and that Jesus was about to usher in, that's what he's declaring here, a new society of an eternal kingdom. They thought that he was going to bring an earthly kingdom. And he said, no, I am coming to bring an eternal kingdom. So the church isn't a place where people meet. The church is a group of people who happen to meet at a place. Does that make sense? I hope so. The Bible says that, you know, it's not that, It's the place that's important, but it's the fact that the people are gathering together. That's what's so important. So if places were not important, um, the Bible wouldn't have mentioned them so much. So there is a both and there. That the places become important because God is at work there and the people gather together. So places are important, um, but we're going to see here in a second that people are more important. Today he mentions Nazareth. He mentions the synagogue all throughout the Bible. They mention the places because they are important. So one thing is, it says that Jesus came to the synagogue as he did what? Often. As became his custom to do so. So we see in text there that Jesus went to church often. If there was anybody who could make the declaration of, why do I need to go to church? Don't you think Jesus had a pretty good argument you know, he can be like, I spoke the word into existence. It tells, you know, John's going to write that in his gospel. In the beginning was the word, and the word was God. The word was with God in the beginning. Jesus is the word. Like, you guys are just sitting to go talk about me. It would be really, you know, he'd be like, it would be, you know, you know, rude for me to go and just let you guys talk about me the whole time, you know. But no, it shows that Jesus was consistent. When he was a young boy, he stayed behind as his parents left the temple, and they were upset with him. He said, no, I'm in my father's house. Why, where else would you look for me to go? Jesus thought that it was important to be in the synagogues, to be in the temple, that Jesus gives us an example, the person who could have the best excuse out of anybody. He could be like, oh, it's just a corrupt institution. He could be like, I can tell you what you know, those leaders really think about. I can tell you how they really spend their money. You know, he could have called them all out and give every reason not to go to church. But he chose. It says it was his custom, and he went to the synagogue. So here's something to think about. The synagogues over 2,000 years ago, the synagogues that Jesus went to, um, they were not the most particularly riveting worship ceremonies that you would have ever ever been a part of. They are pretty much the exact same every single week. They are rather rote. They are rather routine. They are rather predictable and regular. It would open up with an invocation or a prayer of God's blessing, typically a psalm. They would read a psalm that was written. Um, At that point, they would have a written prayer that they would have from their scrolls. They would ask God to bless their meeting. It would be followed by uh, a recounting and a reading from Deuteronomy chapter 6 and 11. I'll let you read those on your own time. They're wonderful readings for going to bed. And um, every single week, the same statement of faith, the same thing was said. It would be followed by a prayer of prescribed readings from the law and the prophets and then the word of exhortation. Perhaps maybe a few rabbis would choose to give a mini sermon like Jesus did here, where he closed the scrolls and he spoke after. And then at the end, they closed by saying, is it amen or amen? Who says Amen. Who says amen? All right, That. look at that. All right. Um, they actually would have said something different. Um, they would have said the word uh, emunah. That's how they would have gotten it. We get a translation that goes through translations back to amen. They would have said emunah as they would close out the prayer in Hebrew. So that was the church that he grew up at. That was the church that he experienced. In the Old Testament, God brought his people out of Egypt and he told them to build a what? He told them to build a tabernacle. One of the first things that God did when he brought them out of, ex- out of the Exodus, out of Egypt, was to build a tabernacle, to build a traveling temple that could go with you so that you could have a place that you go out from your life and you come and do church together. It's one of the first declarations that God gave, one of the first commands that he gave us. They were to attend a place to go. And the Lord said, I will meet you there. And I will speak with you at a place. That's part of why we do this together. I was talking with my friend this morning. That's part of why we do church. is because we want to hear the Holy Spirit speak. When the Holy Spirit, when we gather together, we see the Holy Spirit move in powerful ways. We don't want to just come to church so that we can just sing a few songs, you know, and then hear this guy speak for a little bit. And then go home. No, we want to come because we believe the Lord can be present here. That we come because we're hurting. We come because we need healing. Sometimes people will come on a Sunday and they don't want to worship. They don't want to hear anything that I have to say, but they want to be prayed for. And that's the only reason why they come. And as a church, we really do want to take steps to being a church that is more open to receiving that time for prayer. So we are working on building this prayer and ministry team. And so if that's something that you are interested in, is being willing to pray for people and let the Holy Spirit work, use the connection card, send me a message. And in the next few weeks, we really want to organize and prepare. And we've, we've got a, a prayer model that we use to let the Holy Spirit freely move, but also to allow us to be a church with an order of the word of God. And so reach out to us, and we would love to build that team so we can let the Holy Spirit do what he said that he will do, that he will meet us here. And he does meet us there in worship. He does meet us there in the Word. He does meet us there at the communion table. He does meet us those. But we know he also can work for prayer and that he can come through as we get a chance to be, what is it, the, uh, the patient advocate for God. So if you're interested, we'd love to have you kind of join with that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, it says, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? You see, this verse takes us to the idea of understanding that as New Testament Christians, that the Holy Spirit is doing something different than the Holy Spirit did even in the days of Moses. That the Holy Spirit is able to work in us, but I want to teach you one thing about this text that you may not have known. And that is, just like in Spanish and and in other languages, as you look at individual words, it's clear to tell in the Greek if it's a plural or singular. And as we look at this, it really kind of says this. um, Do you all know? I'm not from the South. I'm sorry, Jenny, help me out. You're not that South. Someone, how do you say y'all? There you go. Um, It's that y'all, you know, it's don't you all know? Don't you all not know? It's making a declaration that all of you, that all of you, but when it says the word temple, the temple is a singular place. So it's not having the meaning of you're a temple, and you're a temple, and you're a temple, and you're a temple, and we're all these many temples. No, it actually makes a declaration that the Holy Spirit that is present all the way across, all the way in us. It's the same Holy Spirit. It's the same God. We've all received the same redemption of the blood of Jesus Christ that has allowed the Holy Spirit to work in us. That God is working through the temple and that's through the the saints coming together. That God is working in that. It's not just for us to say, well, I've got my own little temple and I'm good. Just me and Jesus are good. But no, even the, the encouragement that Paul is giving here is that you all have the Holy Spirit working together as we become one in the body of Christ, which is so consistent with what he says in Ephesians 4, through one body, through one Christ, through one baptism, that we're all connected in this one. So even though our church is called Rock Harbor and, you know, we've got, first baptist just down the corner and church for the beach we look at that and say we've got different titles we've got maybe some difference of opinions here or there different styles but we know that we stand in the same word of god and the same holy spirit and the same baptism and that we are the body of christ that we are the church so when we talk about the church more often than not we're not referring to rock harbor church but a part of what god is doing that we can see that all the way in Psalm 139, that God would declare, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I send to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, you are there. If I make the wings of the dawn and go to the outermost parts of the sea, even there, your right hand will hold me. The mighty hand of God is with us wherever we go, and he loves it when we come together. You see, the fact is that, that God is everywhere. But I want to make something clear that God is everywhere, but we also see that there are moments that God works differently in different spaces. God is not always, so we believe the Holy Spirit is always present. We believe that ever since Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit broke through, the Holy Spirit is always present. The Holy Spirit was able to be with the believers when they were in the upper room. But when the Holy Spirit ascended like tongues of fire, and a loud rushing noise happened that God was breaking through in a specific place. And we see that God works that way often, that we know that God is always present, God is always there, but sometimes when we lay hands and we pray with someone, that we see God manifest himself and respond to that prayer right there. One of the ways that we will teach people to pray at our church is that we pray with our eyes open. I've probably shared this before, and hopefully soon we'll see it in play. We pray with our eyes open because we're expecting to see God at work. That we want to see, we're looking for God to work. And also Jesus prayed with his eyes open and looked to the heavens. So we pray with an expectation that God is going to be at work. So places are important. But if you're taking notes, the second thing is people are more important. It says in verse 18, he takes the scroll of Isaiah, opens it up, finds a place where it is written, and reads, "The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set a liberty to those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord." And what comes after that? After the Lord, what? 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 If you go back one, go back. Yep, that bottom. What's that next to the Lord? That's a. Uh, Period, right? If you read it in Isaiah 61, it's a comma. The reason why I draw your attention to that is because there's more of the text yet to come. But the rest of the text in Isaiah 61 refers to the second coming of the Messiah. So he specifically made a declaration here that I don't want you to miss, even though it's not our main focus for this message. That everything that he just proclaimed in this, Jesus said, Jesus said, It's no longer a comma, it's a period. I am finishing this. But he didn't read the next few verses of Isaiah 61 because it talks of the tribulation yet to come. It talks of God's judgment and wrath that is still yet to come. So we're in this period moment. So when I say the words were in the already but not yet, this passage right here is where we pull that theology from. That Jesus put a period at the end of this statement, even though there's more prophecy yet to happen. That Jesus has come, forgiven sins, he's healed the blind, he's made the lame walk, everything the scripture said, he has done. But he's not done yet. And we can read the rest of those verses and see that there is more yet to come. And someday we will see those scrolls opened again. And Jesus will again declare that now it is finished. As the second coming comes. So, as we look at this text, and we see that he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. I've said it before, it's the original mic drop where he just declared and said, I've done this. This is why I'm here. This is who I am. This is my existence. So as we go back to the message, places are important, but people are more important. Now the second element flows from the first. The reason places are important is because people gather there. That's the whole reason. Uh, Today, most people that are probably hearing this message, that are here in this room, are believers. Some of you recently came to Christ. Um, I know some within the past few weeks. Some are more mature, some are very mature. Some of you might be even uh, very, very mature in your faith. However, some of you here today, you're you're not yet believers. You're still trying to understand and ask questions about what is this thing called church? Who is this person, Jesus? And, And here's the truth, is that life can beat us all up. We can feel the damage created by life experiences, by emotional trauma, by spiritual trauma maybe that you've experienced. And so you come to the hospital to be treated. It is here in this condition that we want to love without condition, that we should accept without reservation, that we should serve without hesitation. We all have a part to play in what God is doing. We all want to be a part of being a place. We told our our volunteers this morning that did much to make this service organized and prepared for today. We said, don't forget that there are times in the midst of a busy Sunday When you see a person that needs prayed for, needs a hug, needs loved, don't let your task override the need to pray and care for people. That is why we are here. Our text gives us these illustrations that that we can understand that people get broken and need healing because they can be captive and need freeing, because they can be blind and need seeing, and oppressed people can need releasing that God is at work in that, and I'm sorry, I just went through those so quick, Danielle, I apologize. If you didn't get them, ask me afterwards. You see, everything that Jesus declared in that Isaiah 61 text is the church that he wants us to be today, that we're a place that continues to love and care for people. He It says in Hebrews chapter 10, think of ways to encourage one another to outbursts of love and good deeds. I just love that translation. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage and warn each other, especially now that the day is coming back again is drawing near. You See, let's be a place, let's be a church that encourages one another, that cheers for one another, and that loves for one another. By this way, and, and this is always the case with people who are loving and grace-filled and hope-filled and want to breathe life into other people and breathe health into other people. Some of the people that I know that are the most confident in their love are the ones that love others the best. And you see God at work in that. So places are important. People are important. Finally, proclamation is all important. If you're taking notes, proclamation is all important. Now in verse 18, in quoting Isaiah, it said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to what? Preach the gospel, to preach the gospel. That ultimately, that's what it comes down to. That it says, he has sent me to, to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim, again, you hear that word, proclaim, liberty to the captives, recovery, sight to the blind, liberty to those who are oppressed, to what? Proclaim. That ultimately, that is why we're here. And I'm gonna say this, and what I hope comes off in of the nicest way possible. Being nice to a hurting person is good. Being kind to a broken person is good. But at some point, if you don't tell them about Jesus, you're just covering up their brokenness and you're not actually helping them heal at all. Do you know know, why people, I think I said this last week, but the reason why people like hospice is because we can give more, more morphine than the hospital legally can do. So we can make, I say we because I used to be a hospice chaplain, so we can make people feel really, really good even though the condition's still there. Our world is so good at giving us morphine. It's so good on making us feel good and telling you that you don't have to worry about the sickness of sin inside of you. Just get that new object. Just get rid of that relationship and get an easier one. Just cut that person from your life. Just stop doing this. Stop doing that. It's like a kid hiding under your bed. It's like, what what good is that going to do? It just covers it up, and it doesn't actually take care of the symptom. See, this is the part that I think that our church and other churches that I mentioned earlier are different than some other churches in our country today, is that we will love and accept anyone and Everyone. Regardless of where they came from, their lifestyle choices, we will love and welcome them in. But eventually, we're going to do the same kind of healing that Jesus did. And Jesus would call a person to be saved, call a person to have their sins forgiven, and then tell them, and go and sin no more. Encourage them to work on their healing and not just cover the symptoms. Because that's what the proclamation is. That's what the scripture calls us to do. We're a place But people are more important. But more important than that is to share the good news of Jesus. Would you pray with me? God, I'm just so thankful for the word that you've brought us today. God, I tell you that I take comfort in the fact that the Bible continues to challenge us, to remind us that we're all just damaged goods. We come with dirty laundry. We come with broken backgrounds. And God, you are so good at just taking our brokenness and making it beautiful. Father, we thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel to those who are bankrupt, poor spiritually, to those who are blinded, to those who are oppressed. God, this is such good news. The gospel truly is an island of good news and a sea of bad news. And God, we're just so thankful that we have the opportunity, Lord, to come together and share this good news. That Jesus came for the broken. That Jesus came for the brokenhearted. Jesus came for the sinner. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So, Lord, this morning, Lord, as we begin to prepare our hearts to receive from the Lord's table, God, we don't come to you because we're perfect. But as a song that we're about to sing, we come to you as broken pieces but yet we're welcomed at the table because of what you did on the cross. So, Lord, I pray this morning, Lord, that you can just work in our hearts and challenge us and work at this table. Be present at your table. And God, bring healing to those who need healing. Pray the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.